Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is Friday morning. I'm Dr. Lee Warren here with you again to bring you another Friday conversation. I'm excited today. My friend John Swanson, who's one of my favorite writers, he's a PhD, biblical scholar, pastor, teacher, and now for the last several years, hospital chaplain. Um, and I've shared with you many times John's blog, 300 words a day, and he's got all kinds of stuff on social media that are equipping people basically to help other people in their hours of need. And, and John's blog, 300 words a day, um, recently, it was actually back in July, mentioned a book that I'd never heard of from a woman named Clarissa Mall. It's Mall like doll, M-O-L-L. And she wrote a book called Beyond the Darkness, A Gentle Guide for Living with Grief and Thriving After Loss. And that title got my attention. Of course, you, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while or if you've read my books, you know that Lisa, my wife, and I and our family have been through some really hard things. One of the reasons that you hear my voice so frequently is that we lost our son Mitch in 2013, and and um, the tragic, shocking, unexpected loss. And that it, it's one of those times in life when you go through a big loss like that. And in my new book, Hope Is the First Dose, I describe it as what we call the massive thing or TMT. These these big things that come along in your life that you weren't expecting, you didn't want, couldn't have predicted, but now you're in them, right? And I tell a story in my book about when I was in the Air Force, I went on a training ride in a jet aircraft, and the crew chief, before we took off on the flight, directed my attention to the floor where my feet were in front of the seat in which I was sitting, and he said, see that yellow handle down there? That's the ejection seat, and if you pull that handle, you're going to get shot out of this airplane. And he said, and this, this particular airplane doesn't have a rocket in the ejection seat. It just has a spring. And so you've got to have at least a thousand feet of altitude or there won't be enough for the parachute to deploy. And if you pull that handle before you're a thousand feet in the air, you're going to die. He basically told me this thing is dangerous. And when it launches you, there's no coming back from it. And I realized that's kind of like TMT, that's sort of like what the massive thing does to your life. You're not expecting it. You're flying along. You think everything's going okay in your life, and somehow that handle gets pulled. You didn't reach down and pull it, but somehow it gets pulled, and you're shot off into space on this dangerous, scary, unrecoverable trajectory that is going to lead to bad things for you if you if the parachute doesn't somehow miraculously open, right? So this this trajectory that you're on that you didn't want, that you couldn't have seen coming, but it's here, and it's happening, and you're in it. And that's the TMT. That, that, that's the massive thing. And here's how Clarissa Mall describes her experience with the massive thing. Um, but Rob didn't call me that day when he was supposed to return to the trailhead. Mm. And I waited, and you know, you stave off anxiety and worry, saying that everything's okay, nothing bad has ever happened. Yeah. But when a white SUV pulled up to my campsite and two police chaplains from the local department uh, stepped out, I knew that uh, the news was bad, that the things that I had been pushing aside, those fears that they were coming to be. Clarissa Mall found herself a widow of four young children. What do you do now? That's the question. What happens next after the massive thing? She writes, have you discovered the painful truth that few in your life can understand your loss? Do you stand at the trailhead of your grief journey alone? Have you realized that you cannot depend on your community or church to support you in the slow work of rebuilding your life? If so, 
You're less alone than you think. I'm here with you. The purpose of this book is to fill that gap, to offer you a companion on your path with grief. Listen, friend, it's hard when you go through the massive thing. One thing that suffering does is it makes you feel alone. It puts you in an, uh, this individualistic state where you feel like you're by yourself. Then everybody goes through their own experience with grief. Grief and hardship and pain and loss, these things are part of life, but they make you feel awfully alone. And I was incredibly fortunate when we lost our son that I had Lisa and had the rest of our family to lean on, and we, and we got through it together. But sometimes you feel like you're all by yourself, and, and sometimes you need some resources and some help. That's what this podcast is for. Well, Clarissa has looked into that future, and she decided that this wasn't going to be the end of her that she was going to still have a life to live. Here's what she wrote. Grief, like love, lives on long after death. Until Jesus comes again, grief will walk with us. It's only when we acknowledge this lasting nature of grief that we can learn to live with it as our companion and look for a life beyond the shadows. The book's final purpose is flourishing, plain and simple. Many times since Rob died, I've had to remind myself that I have not died too. Parts of me are gone forever, yes, but blood still courses through my veins. My heart beats a steady rhythm. I am still alive. Clarissa Mall has written a book that is incredibly helpful. It's practical. It's It's got relational things that you can learn to understand as you're going through your own grief journey. It's almost like a what to expect when you're expecting type book, except it's if you're now in the massive thing, here's some things you're going to experience and feel, and here's how some other people are going to respond. Here's what it's going to feel like to go back to church, and here's some, some ways to look at it to understand that you're not alone, that God hasn't abandoned you, and that there's still reasons to have hope and joy and peace and love in your life, that you're still here for a purpose. It's a great book. I really enjoyed my conversation with Clarissa, and I hope that it's helpful to you. We're going to give away two copies of the book. You write me, Lee, at DrLeeWarren.com. Give me your name and your mailing address, and we'll send you a copy if you're one of the first two listeners. Um, if you'd rather have a digital copy or an audio book, let me know, and I'll get you that too. Um, I love listening to books that are narrated by the author because I think the writer of a book has the, the best sort of grasp on the story, and she did a marvelous job narrating her own story. And so the audio book is really wonderful. And so the first two listeners that write in, Lee at DrLeeWarren.com, let me know your preference if you'd rather have a physical book, audio book, or uh, Kindle or digital copy, and we'll get that to you. I'm really grateful that John Swanson mentioned this book. It's been very helpful to me. Um, Clarissa is a writer, a podcaster. She's got a great podcast that's sponsored by Christianity Today called Surprised by Grief. I think it would be helpful to you. ClarissaMall.com, C-L-A-R-I-S-S-A-M-O-L-L.com is the website. And it's just a it's a great, practical, helpful, compassionate book. If you're in the middle of TMT or a series of TMTs that have happened in your life, um, I just think it would be really helpful. I'm excited to bring you this Friday conversation. I asked Clarissa, hey, if you had 30 seconds to give us one thing to think about that would help somebody who's hurting, what would you say? Here's what she left us with. I would say the words that um, were given to Moses back uh, in Exodus when he was facing a dramatic and traumatic experience in which he felt himself inadequate. The Lord said to him, be still because I will fight for you. Yeah. And so much of our experience in life, so much of our interaction with grief is striving. 
We try to get through it or we try to push it down, or maybe we just try to engage it really well so that we can get through it. And yet the Lord invites us to be still, to know that he's God, to take his lighter yoke, and to know that in our stillness, in our weakness, he is fighting for us. Clarissa Mall has given us a great resource. I hope you're going to enjoy this Friday conversation. I think it's going to be helpful to you, friend. Listen, you can't change your life until you change your mind. So I'm always telling you, there's a reason to hope. There's a reason to change the way you think about the situation that you're found in. And this book has given us some practical tools to help us when we're facing those TMTs. Clarissa Mall's done a great job. I am excited to introduce you to a new friend today and hope that you will read her book and uh, check her out and uh, that you'll be blessed and benefited by the time that we got to spend together last week and I'm giving you this today. And I'm just sure that it's going to help you. And as always, Lisa's telling us the good news is that we can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Hey, friends, we're back, and I'm so excited uh, to introduce a new friend uh, to us today, um, a writer who I've really come to appreciate her work and podcaster. Clarissa Mall is with us today. Clarissa, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And um, you wrote a book um, called Beyond the Darkness, and it's about um, really a devastating part of your life that's come to be since 2019. Tell us a little bit of your story. That's right. Well, uh, I love uh, my life now, but it is certainly not at all um, and not at all like the life that I lived before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was married to my husband, Rob, for 17 years. We had four children together, had a wonderful life. He was a writer, author, and uh, I worked in PR and communication. So for all of our marriage, we were working side by side uh, with words, editing and writing together. Yeah. And uh, in 2018, we moved across the country from our home in Seattle out here to Boston And it was a big change for us, as moves are, but uh, we were excited the following summer to head back to the West Coast to visit family and friends, to reconnect, and uh, to capture a little bit of that home, you know, that you feel when you've been gone and and you're able to head back. Uh, One of the highlights of our vacation was to be this long uh, ridgeline hike that my husband was going to take with his hiking partner and friend. They'd been planning it for about six months together. And uh, they were both really experienced hikers, uh, very conscientious and loved to connect with the Lord in the in creation. 
And so, uh, you know, for a man who works so hard, you just want to give him as much of that vacation time as possible. He had been working on the road on our behalf. Yeah. And uh, so I was excited to give him that day just to, to enjoy being outside. Um, but Rob didn't call me that day when he was supposed to return to the trailhead mm. and I waited and, you know, you stave off anxiety and worry saying that everything's okay. Nothing bad has ever happened. Yeah. But when a white SUV pulled up to my campsite and two police chaplains from the local department uh, stepped out, I knew that uh, the news was bad, that the things that I had been pushing aside those fears that they were coming to be. And um, the chaplains told me that he had fallen to his death in the backcountry and um, yeah, he wasn't coming home again and it changed everything. Devastating. Yeah. Yeah. So what were the, those first days like, like after that, like um, managing your children and, and your faith and, and all of those things, um, how did that ex- play out for you in the first, the first days and weeks? Well, certainly the first days and weeks were like a fog. I think that's what traumatic loss does to a person, to their mind, to their heart. And I think uh, there's a, a widow friend of mine who later said to me, I think it's a mercy from the Lord that you kind of go numb, that you can't feel That's everything, right. because if you could bear the weight of that reality, it would crush you. And um, and so, yeah, we lived as though we were moving in a dream for a, quite a while. Uh, that that feeling that he was going to walk through the door again, that he was going to come and sit down at dinner, that I'd hear his voice or his yeah. laugh. Um, All of those things were just such a part of that experience. And uh, it took a long time for me to stop looking toward the front door at 530, expecting him to walk in. Um, But over time, that numbness wears off. And it's kind of like you get a root canal and and you have that Novocaine and you can't can't speak well, you can't eat well, everything is changed. But as that numbness wears away, the real pain, I think, sets in. And um, and that's certainly what we found, that as the numbness, the brain fog started to wear off, there was a deep uh, and abiding pain that has come to reside with us um, in in the space of his absence. And this, um, this was 2019, right? That's right. So yeah. just three years. Um you know, people ask me all the time as a, as a brief father, you're like, how long does it stop? Does it hurt? And you're like, well, forever. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't, exactly. doesn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> but this phenomenon, yeah. and you've written about it beautifully, this phenomenon happens where you one day comes along almost and, and you realize you're still living and, mm-hmm. and your life is still going on and you still have a family and responsibility and work and, and all these other things. And so then it, it becomes clear that, that you're on a sort of this parallel track with grief and pain and and life at the same time like talk about that like when when did you start kind of coming alive again and how did that feel and play out for you I think about that first Christmas season after Rob died he died in the summer and so we headed immediately into fall and so time really pushed us forward if you've lost a loved one you know that the change of seasons can be really challenging because you see time happening before your eyes in those falling leaves or for us, the snow here in New England. And and you see time as it were, as creation kind of stretches that space between you and your person. And uh, 
that Christmas, I decided to take my kids up to the mountains. It's something we had always done as a family together every holiday. And uh, we were going to go skiing. And I just, it was something that I felt I wanted to do to create this sense of normalcy in a world that had been so dramatically disrupted. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until we were all lying in that hotel room all together and the lights were turned off and we were all weary, our legs were tired from a day of skiing, that I realized this incredible pain could live beside tremendous joy. We'd had a wonderful time. No one had cried on the ski hills and uh, playing in the snow. It had been glorious. The the uh, the mountains were beautiful. The air was crisp. We felt so alive. And yet in the quiet of that hotel room, all of the sadness, all of the missing him kind of crowded into that space. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's kind of how I've learned to live, that you chase after life and its joy and you long for good things. And yet you also bear this sorrow that hopefully informs how you live, um, right. that teaches you what's most important, that helps you prioritize, uh, helps you to become more compassionate. Uh, grief is a, a terrible and yet a very good teacher. That's right. And you've written when you decided to write a book about it. Well, I guess before I say that, um, where where along the way did you decide to to write all this down and, and start trying to help other people with it? Like, what what was the genesis of that for you? After Rob died, I started writing monthly emails to a group of friends and family just to let them know how we were doing. A lot of folks use CaringBridge or another similar kind of website. And um, after a while, folks would write back and say, hey, do you mind if I share this with a friend? Because I have somebody who's going through something similar or this just really resonated with me. And of course, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I figured it was more people praying for us. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, But I had worked in PR and communications and and Rob had written uh, two books. And so writing felt like a familiar place for me to express myself. It also felt like uh, a space in which I could connect with him. Yeah. And we had sat side by side for so many years. He'd write something, I'd edit it. I'd write something, he'd edit it. And so uh, just even in the writing process, I began to, I discovered that I could connect with the love that I had for him in a really powerful way that helped me not to miss him less, but um, it took the edge off some of that pain for me. Oh, that's that's well said. You you came up you you present the book as a guide, and which I thought was fascinating. It's not just a memoir of of what you've been through, but you you've harnessed some of the lessons and things that you've learned and things that are helpful and things that aren't helpful that we'll get to in a minute. And, but, but this notion that you came alongside all of us who are hurting with some guide, you call it a gentle guide. And, and just where'd that notion come from that I'm not going to just write about this, but I'm going to try to help people with it. Yeah. You know, no one wants to go first, particularly in this category right. of life experience. And um, when 
I was first widowed. I was 41 and I had four small children and I was desperate to look for someone who would tell me that I was going to make it through this. Because at the time I thought this was what you do. You get through something, you get to the other side of it. And uh, I looked at contemporary secular grief literature and uh, it was very practical, very helpful, but it it left me kind of hopeless, honestly, um, that yeah. I didn't have a sense that through was something that I would be able to do in this grief experience. And then I looked at uh, a lot of Christian devotional literature, which was really helpful for my soul and uh, deeply meaningful in my in my walk with the Lord. But it didn't give me the nuts and bolts of, you know, I, I've lost my appetite. What do I do with all these casseroles that I keep receiving? Right. And uh, and I thought, you know, what if we put those two things together? What if we had the practical resources that grieving people need so desperately? Uh, you know, information about sleep and exercise, family relationships, holidays. And we infused that with a gospel hope that says, this isn't all there is. That's right. We acknowledge the depth of this pain, but God has written resilience into our bodies uh, and he promises us resurrection. That's and right. so we can hold these two things in the same hand. And and like the title says, we can thrive again. That's right. I, I found your book because of a friend of mine, John Swanson is a, a chaplain, so a hospital chaplain and pastor, PhD, um, spiritual guide to me and he um he did a post about your book and and the reason it resonated with him is that john's work is all about um practical things that hospital chaplains can do to help hurting people right and he's always saying things like show up and shut up like don't, don't talk too much don't <laughs> yeah. don't say don't quote romans twenty eight twenty eight and, and all That's those right. things and but you get into this um you start your story and i just love how that john shared this with me and that's when we're face to face today um and i read your book and, and i was like holy cow she starts with naomi and ruth what a great place to start a grief story so i mean talk talk about that for a minute like that just this this journey that those two women were on and how that, how you chose to start with that. Yeah. Well, the book of Ruth is really the story of Naomi. Um, She, she didn't get top billing, but it's her story. And I so appreciate uh, the inclusion of Naomi in scripture because when I look at her story and I see how she traversed through grief, I, I see myself there. Uh, Naomi is uh, grouchy, She is unkind to her friends. Uh, She does not say the things that she should say at the right time. She does not receive comfort well. Uh, She is brutally honest about how she feels that the Lord has um, done done poorly with her life. Uh, You know, that I trusted you and here's what you've given me, Lord. And those are the ways we feel. They really are. Uh, if we are honest, we we love Jesus. We we trust that God has good plans for us. And yet, when we sit in the rubble of our lives, like Naomi, with you know a husband gone and now two sons gone, and uh, we look around us, we say, "God, surely you had a different plan." You yeah. know who's driving this bus? <laughs> and uh, and so I appreciate Naomi in in that respect. Uh, in another way, too, I think that um, we are given so many important uh, nuggets of guidance from her story on yeah. how to care for bereaved people. Those friends of hers that come to to welcome her back after she has been Definitely. in Moab, uh, she she's unkind to them. She's a bit gruff, 
And yet at the end of the book, they show up and they rejoice with her when her grandbaby arrives. They didn't abandon her. Uh, They didn't say, wow, you know, uh, grief has really turned her into a different person and left her alone. They stuck with her. And, um, And those friends that offer their presence as a gift, that is just amazing. It's what grieving people need. That's right. I think so too. Uh, Naomi, she wrestles with God, and at the end, she's able to praise Him. And the amazing thing about the Book of Ruth is it doesn't tell us how she got there, because that isn't prescriptive. It's it's unique to each person. That honesty with God, uh, I believe, in some way, begets the kind of lasting faithfulness uh, to the Lord. That, that sorrow can produce in us, but it's not an easy four-step program. And, That's right. Uh, and Naomi allows it to be messy, and I appreciate right. that. And I love the honesty, too. You know, all of us, I think everybody in life, but especially bereaved people, have felt what she says. I, I went out full. My life was good. I went out full. That's and, right. and God's brought me back empty. Like I'm, I'm broken. And, but then at the same time, she's, she's living. And I, I, I just, I really appreciate that you started that story in that spot. So well done. That was a great, <laughs> great place to start that book. Um, what do you hope people get? Um, so just for some background, so the listeners here that, um, I'm a brain surgeon, real life neurosurgeon and a guy who lost a child and went to war and had PTSD and went through a divorce and did all that stuff. So I'm a, a, a neuroscientist and a broken Christian, right? And so our listeners are, everybody hearing your voice today is somebody who's dealing with some sort of massive trauma or tragedy in, in their life. Um, my next book is 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 all about that like what do we do when we when we break and so what do you hope that one of these people that's hurting today can get from your book what's it going to do for them if somebody if somebody goes out and buys Clarissa Mall's book mm. well in addition to the practical support that i think is honestly really helpful uh, those rudimentary kinds of rhythms that you can adopt to help you get through to survive That's right. uh, whatever grief experience you are going through. I think the thing that grieving people need most is to know that they have someone who understands. So many times our experiences of loss are isolating. We look at our lives, whether it's divorce or uh, some kind of trauma, and we say, nobody understands what it is to walk in my shoes. And there is a uniqueness to that, right? There is a uniqueness to our grief, even as it is universal, even as we we all carry things that are hard. Um, no one can step into your shoes and walk your journey for you. That's right. Except Jesus. Uh, I love Isaiah 53 says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And in Hebrew, yeah. that word acquainted means a familiar friend. And Jesus knew sorrow and grief intimately. And uh, scripture tells us that because he became a man, he knows what it is to be in our bodies, to know what it means to feel broken physically and emotionally, uh, to feel abandoned spiritually. And so, you know, if you gather anything uh, from Beyond the Darkness, I hope in addition to the practical tips and things that make your life easier, I hope that you would hold that book in your hands and know in the depths of your being, that there is someone who walks beside you, Uh, that it's not only grief walking beside you now until uh, the day that God makes all things new, but that Jesus is also walking beside you. And he is the friend who understands. 
That's beautiful. I I just read a book. Um, Pete Gregg has written a book called God on Mute, and it's about those times when God seems distant or silent and we're not hearing from him. And he said something I've never heard before, that he said the reason Jesus prayed that we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven is that God's will is not always done on earth because of spiritual warfare, because we have an enemy. And so I think sometimes when we are so broken and we feel like God's turned against us or he's not listening to us or he's, he's our enemy, it's, it's not he didn't want your husband to fall and die. That wasn't his will. He didn't want my son to be stabbed to death. He, he, he wants us to be abundant and to have this hopeful life. And so I think it's encouraging that you, that you come through these, these moments in your pain and you can still believe and hope and trust and have faith and write so beautifully about it. You've given us a great gift, Clarissa. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us, um, this is a little pivot here, but I find it fascinating and I, and I hope it was helpful to you. Your husband wrote a whole book about dying. He did. <laughs> and to, to unpack that just a little bit, like, like did, did that help you in some way after all this happened? Like he wrote a book called The Art of Dying, right? That's right. I mean, it feels so crazy now in some ways. In uh, 2010, he published The Art of Dying, Living Fully into the Life to Come. Uh, he had been reporting for Christianity Today on the Terry Schiavo case and uh, was yeah. writing on euthanasia, death uh, with dignity, and trying trying to figure out like how do Christians respond, not just politically, but um, but in a in a devotional sense. You know, what does this mean for our spiritual lives? And um, he joined the staff at a funeral home, started working the night shift. He uh, became a hospice volunteer. Uh, just ever the curious journalist had to dive right in. <laughs> yeah. And um, that book was a, a good chunk of our early marriage when we had toddlers. And it was it was not a welcome companion. Uh, I did not <laughs> no. want to have those conversations about death and dying when we've got little kids and, you know, we're we're barely newlyweds. And um but he he sat with folks on weekends and held their hands and visited with their family members, and he knew that those conversations were important. And uh, you know, all of these years later, um, I I look at those words and I think this was his love gift to me. This these conversations wow. that he leaned into when I just wanted to hightail it away. Um, you know, I don't think he had the foresight or the foreknowledge to know that I would need them in this way, but he was loving me well by introducing me to these hard topics, by encouraging this hard conversation. And now, you know, I can hold in in my hands these words that he wrote and say, yeah, yeah honey, you were right. And I think a lot of husbands would love to hear their wives <laughs> tell yeah, them that. You're right. <laughs> But you were right, you know, to uh, to die well, you must live well. And um, to live well, you must acknowledge your mortality. And um, and I see that now. Wow. What a gift and and a gift for all of us. I'll put his uh, that book on the show notes, too, for folks to find. Um, you started podcasting along the way, and uh, you work now for Christianity Today with uh, the, the Surprised by Grief podcast. How'd that come about? That's right. Well, my dear friend, Daniel Harrell, uh, was working at the magazine as well. And uh, he had lost his wife to pancreas cancer. And uh, we connected. And um, I think Rob's connection with Christianity Today, it was a special way for us to remember our spouses. But uh, this was at the beginning of the pandemic, too. And there was a lot of death happening 
uh, all at once, far more than I think most folks, certainly in my lifetime, and even in uh, generations uh, that are older than I was, had experienced ever. And so we were face to face in the midst of this pandemic with, um, you know, what do we do with this many grieving people? How do we as a culture address grief? Uh, Really just folks fumbling to try to figure out how to take care of each other, how to take care of themselves. Uh, And so this podcast emerged, I think, at just the right time because uh, we walked together through those first two years of grief and recorded it for y'all to hear. (laughs) Really helpful. Um, I listened to an episode you and Daniel did together where you both shared your stories and um, just really helpful. uh, The whole the whole thing. I'm going to share that with our listeners today uh, as well for ongoing resources from Clarissa. And um, are you writing again? Are you writing anything new? I am. I'm a writer's always working on new projects, right. certainly. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm writing now. Have two projects in the hopper, and really want to um, to continue offering Christian bereavement support because uh, it is so vital. And you know, the the wounds that we carry are not resolved in the first one or two years after loss. That's right. Uh, uh, oftentimes, um, folks you know, life pulls them on and they can't address their grief for maybe five, 10 years. But uh, there's a funny thing about grief that it, you know, you can sit on it for a long time, but it's going to come out sideways. It will come out one way or another. And, uh, you know, I think resources for children and teens and, uh, and, resources for folks who find themselves in in complicated grief situations perhaps their loved one was not a loving person to them you know how do they wrestle with the feelings that come after loss i think there's so many ways that as christians we can come alongside each other to um to offer the comfort that we've received beautiful the the chapter you wrote about bringing grief to church, I think was really key. Um, for us, it was so hard to go back to church. Everybody either didn't want to talk about it, only wanted to talk about it, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or wanted to, or wanted to sort of, uh, you know, throw a whole bunch of Christian bullets at it. And, 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 and they're not helpful early on. I mean, it's true. It's come to become a bedrock of my life that that God can and does use all things together for good if you love him. Right. It's become so important to me because I believe that, you know, the the sound of our voices today are good things that came out of losing our two people, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to help yeah. people. But it's not a good thing when you're when you're in that fresh early stage and people ought not to say it to you. So what do you—just tell us a little bit about that, about going back to church and, and what, what the church ought to be about and helping people who are grieving. And You, you wrote really well about that, so just help us with that a little bit. Yeah, we we don't like a wounded Jesus. We no. really, we, re, we like a triumphant Jesus. We like a Jesus who is walking out of that uh out of that tomb. Uh but we get very uncomfortable with a wounded Jesus. And yet uh, a wounded savior is what grieving people need. They need right. to be able to identify with a God who aches and grieves and hurts like they do. And so I think um you know, in as much as the church can introduce us to a wounded Jesus, uh, we we are better for that. That's right. And so, making space for lament, uh, and not just on a special Sunday of the year, but as a as a church practice, a community practice, to lament the things that we have lost, um, to acknowledge the places that are painful, that are long lasting in their pain. Um, 
to come around each other with comfort, not necessarily in words, but in deed. Um, I think that is so valuable. And it's amazing because these are all things that just the average person can do. Uh, the pastor can't come down out of the pulpit and sit next to every person who is hurting That's right. during the service. But uh, you and I, we've, we're sitting next to two different people on either side of us. Uh, what if we planted ourselves beside someone that we knew was hurting that day? Right. Uh, not to say a word, but just to be a warm body, a presence beside them. You know, the church is, um, is to be the very best expression of family, uh, that we are to That's reflect right. what it is to be the family of God. And uh, family sticks around. Family doesn't bow out when things get tough. And so in that understanding, we acknowledge that grief is long lasting. And so we remember folks after the year Mark has passed, we uh, keep saying their loved one's name. I think that's so precious to those who have lost a loved one. And, uh, And we celebrate remembering the good things that God has done for us. So it's, it's this twofold, it's a, it's a tug. It's a, it's a tension that we live under of acknowledging the real brokenness of the world and then proclaiming God's dominion over that, you know, his kingdom has already begun in us. That's right. And, and we are, we're called to, to be that place, the hospital, the place for the wounded, and also a place where people can experience the healing of Christ and hope for the ultimate resurrection and restoration that's to come. That's right. I love that you said that. Like, it's so important, friends, to not forget that people need to hear their loved ones' names. And and you start as a parent, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but over you start feeling a little bit like you're going crazy because you start to realize that the things you remember about your person aren't exactly what they really were, that they're mm-hmm. your version of them. And, and then you start worrying that nobody remembers who they really were. And, and, it's, and it's important when somebody comes alongside and says, hey, I remember when Rob said this or did that. or Don't you remember that time we went to the beach with Mitch and, you know, all those things. And it's important that, that you don't forget or let people think that you've forgotten. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. 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 And, you know, for those of us who have family members who love the Lord, uh, worship is a place where you know we we connect with their memory and connect with them in the mysterious uh, communion of saints that we believe. You know, we we read in scripture about those who um, who are cheering us on. Hebrews uh, chapter eleven and twelve, yep. those who have gone before us and are cheering us on. And uh, we read in Revelation about those who gather around the throne of the Lamb. And yep. um, and there is a sense in which every time we step into worship, we are doing the thing that our loved ones are already enjoying right now. That's right. Like they are already worshiping face-to-face before the Lord. And so, you know, I think that's perhaps what makes church painful in some ways, that there the veil is thin. There we experience the reality of God's kingdom in part, but we have this longing deep inside of us to know what our loved ones now know in fullness. Amen. That's beautiful. You you kind of got to the end of the book and you and you told a story about the the mountains around where you are and how um well, just tell that about the volcano and how nobody knows what they're walking on. That was such a great, a great metaphor. 
Yeah, you know, I've got to I've got to promote our New England volcanoes because <laughs> we're certainly not known for them. But yeah, most people think of the Ring of Fire on the West Coast and the the Aleutian Islands and um, you know Mount Saint Helens. But we have yeah. our we have our volcano here in New Hampshire. Uh, but you wouldn't know because it is ancient. Uh, the caldera is so worn down, and uh, it's really only visible from from an eagle's eye view from the yep. sky. Uh, you can see this ring of mountains that forms a circle, and it's covered in trees. And, uh, you know, most folks would never even know that we had a volcanic past. And that's kind of how your life with grief becomes, that yeah. this, uh, that this, this scar, if you will, this uh, pain that you still carry, things grow over it and your life expands. That that caldera is no smaller than when it was all those years ago. It is. It has worn down, but it has not gotten smaller. But it is verdant and lush with greenery. Yep. It's one of the prettiest places in October to head because the foliage is absolutely stunning. Yep. It's a place people want to go. And it once was a place of destruction. That's right. And yeah, that's how our lives are, that we never really get away from the loss that we've experienced, nor should we, I think. Um, it is, it's a mark of love as much as anything else. That's right. But our lives do grow. And, um, and what a blessing, what a hope, what a foreshadowing of the good work that God is already doing uh, and promises to do in us and in the world. Um, I'm grateful for all the ways that we can grow around our loss because there was a time where I thought, most of me had died with him. That's right. You feel like this is the thing. That this is the thing that's going to define my life. It's the thing that's going to take me out. It's the thing that's going to make every day in the future feel this way or look this way. And it was just a great, um, you did a great job of, of giving us some language around that. Because the truth is, friend, you, you God can redeem the part of the story that you're in now, the hard part. And it can become a thing. It might be the worst thing, but it probably won't be. It'll, it'll be one of the things that happens in your lives that, that'll happen to you. And God can redeem it and, and make streams of living water in that desert. And thank you for writing this book, Clarissa. Um, it's uh, such a valuable resource. I put it up there next to Walter Storff and, and A Grief Observed and, and some really helpful uh, words that you've given us. And what would you have if you had... 30 seconds to tell somebody who's hurting out there something that would help them. What would you, what would you leave us with today? I would say the words that um, were given to Moses back uh, in Exodus, when he was facing a dramatic and traumatic experience in which he felt himself inadequate. The Lord said to him, be still because I will fight for you. Yeah. And so much of our experience in life, so much of our interaction with grief is striving. We try to get through it or we try to push it down, or maybe we just try to engage it really well so that we can get through it. And yet the Lord invites us to be still, to know that he's God, to take his lighter yoke, and to know that in our stillness, in our weakness, he is fighting for us. Wow. Beautiful. Clarissa Mall, thank you so much for the beautiful book and for your time today. Um, I promised you about half an hour. We're right up against it. So I'll let you go. But, um, great resource. We're going to give away two copies of your book. Uh, first two listeners to, to write in to me, Lee at DrLeeWarren.com will get you a copy of this wonderful book that will really be helpful to you. Make sure you tell me where you live. Send me an address. I can't 
Can't send you a book to an email address. So send us a, send us an email, Lee at drleewarren.com. We'll get you a book. Um, Clarissa, thank you. God bless you and your family and your continued journey and the great work that you're doing. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Well, it was a great conversation. I'm going to leave you with just a few minutes to reflect. You know, when you find yourself in that TMT of being launched down into space and you're dealing with something impossible, sometimes it can be really hard to hear God's voice. And you might be asking, God, what are you saying in this? Where have you gone? Why have you abandoned me? Even Jesus on the cross said that. It's okay to feel those things, friend. Well, my friend Tommy and his uh, Tommy Walker and his daughter Eileen gave us a beautiful worship album last year that they created, and, and it's available everywhere for free, any, any place you stream music, uh, Highest Praises. And one of the songs that Eileen wrote on that album is called What Do You Say? We did a whole podcast about it a while back that I'll bring back to you at some point. But in Clarissa's life, she was left with this devastating loss before kids to raise. Not sure what she was going to do next. And it's an obvious, natural time to say, God, what do you say in a moment like this? So, friend, if you're in one of those places and you might be asking God what he's saying as you're contemplating Clarissa's words and preparing to read her book and, and uh, just spending some time today reflecting on the things that you've heard, let's just let's just have a minute to hear what God actually says in this and kind of wrap this Friday conversation up with a little bit of worship music from Eileen and Tommy Walker. It's a great way, I think, to go out uh, of Clarissa's story uh, and just leave it with some music to reflect and think for a few moments. Here's Eileen and Tommy Walker. What do you say? I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this Friday conversation. And please, please read Clarissa's book. I think it'll really help you. I know you can trust me. You can't change your life until you change your mind. The good news is you can start today.
That's what you say. You keep your word, Lord. That's what you say. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.